1: And he's here to say a pleasant final day of the month of May, 31st of May here on this Thursday. Hope you're having a great one. And as you lead into uh, your Thursday afternoon or evening commute home, we're going to lead into some of the big stories that have been uh, matriculating through the week here and get some insights. Lots of big news, lots of controversy, certainly uh, capturing headlines vis-a-vis comments made by... Roseanne Barr and the response by ABC. And then, of course, uh, today or, or late yesterday, uh, now Samantha B. weighing in in a different fashion. Although, oddly, the reaction by her network, TBN, very different. You probably won't be surprised when I tell you. We're going to get a look at all these stories and more as we're joined today in studio by the host of Reimagine America. She is Joyce Cordy. The program can be heard Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. Nice alternative to some of the nonsense that you hear on the Talking Head programs on Sunday mornings. Many, many years in the world of corporate business and the high-tech arena, and she brings some fresh ideas and viewpoints to many of the ails, the 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 maladies that ail us here, not only nationally <laughs> but in the state of California. And boy, don't we have plenty! <laughs> oh, Joyce, God, welcome, in
2: California. <laughs> it's like I always say on on um, on Sunday morning. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I look at the numbers, and when you look at the numbers and you look at the California primary, ladies and gentlemen, we are in serious trouble. And finding your way through this ballot is not quick, it's not easy, and it's hugely important. The future of your children is at stake.
1: A lot of people take a lackadaisical approach, Joyce, to midterm elections and certainly primaries. I think some people say, look, I'm very busy. I really don't have time to study all the ballot propositions and get to know all the candidates. So here's my strategy. My strategy is I'm going to lay this one out. Let the people that are really involved in all of this make the initial pass at decision-making. And then once they've kind of finalized the field down to a select two, then I'll step in in November. What makes that sort of thinking dangerous, particularly in light of the fact that California doesn't have a top winner from each party kind of election, but rather the so-called ranked choice voting that means the two top vote-getters, regardless of party, will be going to the ballot come November. That could very much colorize the potential choices if a lot of conservatives and republicans decide to sit June out.
2: Well, the jump primary as it's known was intended, I'm all all, all confessions being important. I worked on that campaign. The purpose was to bring to the general election the two most centrist candidates, the two candidates most capable of being Um, looking at both sides of an issue of being bipartisan to make California government more moderate and less extreme. And what I fear in this primary, uh, especially with the intervention of the president and Kamala Harris and so forth, is that what you are going to see uh, and certainly the refusal of the Democratic uh, Convention to endorse the candidacy of Diane Feinstein. That says a lot. Okay, What I fear is you're going to see the extremes on the right and the left, the donkey blues and the elephant reds, partisans, the angry partisans are going to go to the polls in the primary, and then you and me and Craig, we – centrist voters are going to look at both sides and say, ooh, in November, and we will have no one to, th- to blame but ourselves. So it's a difficult ballot, but it's important. It's important to get out and vote and, and look at the mailers you're getting. Look first at who sent the b- mailer, because it's not always what you think it is. Um, and then look for the candidate. OK, I'm, I'm going to take a, a moment here to be a bit partisan. So my position right now is I don't want Gavin Newsom to be the next governor of the state of California. That's because I'm a native Californian and I think we've done enough damage. So we must nominate against Gavin Newsom the most electable, the most conservative person who has a reasonable chance of getting elected governor against Newsom. I'm concerned, and I think Craig has said this as well, that Trump's endorsement of John Cox will hurt him, even if it helps him in the primary, is going to, in the long run, is a gift to Gavin Newsom.
1: It it, it certainly resonates with conservative Republicans in the state. The problem is it fails to resonate with moderate Republicans in the state, of which we know when you can find a gathering of Republicans here, the vast majority are going to be in the moderate arena. And so this becomes a bit of a problematic endorsement, almost better in this case as if the president has sort of stayed on the sidelines on this one.
2: Yeah, I think if the president had stayed out and let Kamala Harris be the, voice, the the voice of the Democratic Party would have been better for the purpose of the top two finisher. to find us some moderate folk who can actually govern, who can really look at why uh, we have um, such a problem in school funding we are. We, we spend more money. 66 billion dollars of you and my tax dollars go to public K through 12 education in the state, and we are 41st in per-pupil pu- per spending. The state of New Jersey spends $28 billion, and they spend almost $19,000 uh, $19, per student. So we're not helping our kids um, by teaching them in high school, and I'm not going to kid you, This I really, really, On uh, next door last night, saw a a high school student from one of our more prosperous communities in Silicon Valley doing a survey of homeowners for a class he is taking in income inequality taught in a public high school. Wow. So, folks, this election matters.
1: The rumor mill has it that one of the Republican candidates, Travis Allen, may potentially – Siphon votes off of John Cox, weakening his ability to garner sufficient votes to make the runoff come November, leading potentially to a Newsom villagorosa election. Mm-hmm. In which case, uh, and I, I, I realize you didn't bring your crystal ball here, but it, were that to happen, are we talking about then a four term or a, a term of Gavin Newsom as governor of California? I think not. Why not?
2: Um, Because I think Villarreal has a track record. He improved LA schools. He was an effective speaker of the assembly. He's a fourth-generation Californian.
1: Does the Latino vote really count here too? He
2: has appealed to, you know, what the first thing he did after he decided he could indeed run because Trump three marriages hadn't stopped Donald Trump from becoming president of the United States was to reach out to the Central Coast Republican parties. Uh, because he knows he needs Republican votes and he would need Republican votes to govern, to govern. And yeah, I think I, you know, I don't, my Spanish is limited to being able to speak a little. I can't really read Spanish fluently like I do French, but um, uh I believe that there that yes, there is a big enough Hispanic um citizen community um especially in Southern California, to give um Villariosa a a, a more than a fighting chance to beat Newsom all right, and Newsom is a disaster. Newsom is a four year battle over doubling state state spending for free Medicare for all. Let me tell you, Medicare is not free. We can talk about that some evening, but Medicare is not free. Uh and 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 that would literally Newsom's plan would literally double the state budget without contributing a dime to closing that gap between California, New York, uh Illinois, New Jersey, et cetera, on per pupil spending. It wouldn't help our kids get a better education. It wouldn't fix a pothole, but it would definitely be a magnet to further illegal immigration into California because healthcare would be free to everybody. Okay, that probably is never going to become law in the, in California, but you want to spend the next four years fighting about it, or do you want to fix the potholes, improve our educational system, and? Uh, and, and, and make California and, and solve our housing crisis. I mean, we have 114,000 people going to sleep on the streets tonight. We can't afford new social welfare programs that Gavin Newsom is proposing until we solve the ones we have now.
1: And particularly when there's that little minor detail as to great programs, great ideas, and where again is the money coming from? Yes. Yeah.
2: yeah the, you know, they promised us. they That gubernatorial debate that, that Chuck Todd narrated and at the end of he, he was speechless, right? Um, they said – We're going to build 3 million units of affordable housing. So I went and looked up, you know, all the issues that they had presented about CEQA and and the permitting process and so forth. And the state's own numbers are it costs $332,000 to build one, count them, one unit of affordable housing. That means, folks, we need a trillion dollars to close that gap. Now, some of that money will come from private developers, but the majority of that money for low-income housing has to come from state resources. Well, so where are you going to get that trillion dollars? We
1: just need to go to George Soros for a small uh, bridge loan. <laughs> oh! <laughs> we'll take a timeout. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Joyce Cordy's with us today in studio. A look at the news of the day. And we'll get back to more right after we take a look at your ride home. And we've got Michael Bennett with the latest in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right, we're back actually with Joyce Cordy today in studio. She is the host of Reimagine America, heard Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on her sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. Information, by the way, about her good work. At reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. We're tackling the top stories of the week and trying to make a sense of it all. Sometimes most of it is, is quite senseless. Uh, let's talk about two media personalities that have both captured major headlines in the last 24 hours, Joyce. One, of course, being Roseanne Barr, the other Samantha B. Now, Roseanne Barr, um, at a level, the fact that she came out, made some offensive tweets, I'm thinking, This surprised who? I mean, uh, I remember the 1990 Padres game when she was called out to sing the national anthem and and fairly well embarrassed herself. And she's had a long history of this, not only in terms of public pronouncements, but uh, her tweeting and so forth. So why anybody was surprised is sort of beyond me. Odd that she would try and uh, reach back in history and go after a former Clinton advisor, and uh, and probably not a surprise that as quickly as she apologized, she's now trying to blame Ambien and uh, the terrible thing that the ABC <laughs> network is doing to the 200 people that have lost their jobs. On and on the list goes. Um, what were your thoughts in terms of ABC's rapid response? Justified?
2: Uh, I completely agree with what ABC did. I think Geiger was right. He did not have a choice. You, you cannot go on Twitter or any other vehicle and compare um, a woman of color to an ape and expect to survive that. And by the way, everything you said about Roseanne the crazy was something ABC knew. Mm -hmm. They knew this was a risk. Uh, Wanda Sykes was the one who persuaded them to take that risk. Okay.
1: And, and seemingly, at least for the first year, for rating's sake, it paid off.
2: It paid off. And, and they, were, they, they saw it as the lead-in to their uh, fall um, series uh, lineup this year. And then Roseanne Barr lost it.
1: Roseanne Barr did what Roseanne Barr has always done.
2: Yeah, and, and frankly, ABC was ready. They always knew that the risk existed that, Ro- that Roseanne Barr would be Roseanne Barr. Who
1: Do you think that was in part contributory to the the speed to which they oh reacted? Oh, God, yes.
2: They had a plan.
1: I mean, th- this seemed to be not even in time enough to say, well, let's get everybody on a conference call. I mean, the tweets were out there, and as quick as the tweets went out, seemingly right on the heels of that, here comes the announcement from ABC Entertainment president, Roseanne Barr's show is being canceled.
2: In, in a matter of moments... Again, they had a plan for how to back out.
1: (laughs) uh, Might have even had the press release pre-written, just waiting to put a date on it.
2: (laughs) it, It's possible. I don't know that that's true. But they knew that they were playing with fire. And they had, I'm, I'm sure, because by the time Iger's statement was released, they had erased the entire show, the previous season and the upcoming season, from the ABC Site. I mean, they had made themselves Google-proof, okay? That didn't happen in a matter of half an hour. That happened because they had a back-out plan, says the techie. Um, I think it was went as fast as tweet sent, OMG, Wanda calls the head of entertainment – I'm sorry, I'm going to forget her name right now – who calls Iger, who says – You issue your release. I'm calling Valerie, and then I'll live. I'll you know, and and number one, I mean these are all people who know Valerie Jarrett, but number two, it was incredibly offensive. I mean, you can say I don't agree with her. I think she's grandstanding, being on this uh, you know MSNBC show today. Blah 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 blah. But out of the clear blue sky. To compare her to an ape, and by the way, it was followed up on Twitter with some incredibly noxious fake news about how she was an Islamic extremist, et cetera. Um, that I don't think ABC could have done anything else. That, number one, at the moment that they that that tweet was sent, there wasn't an advertiser in America that would touch that show.
1: Yeah, and that very well made the decision for ABC no doubt a little bit easier recognizing yes. that, that now they the were Samantha- going to run to the walls.
2: The Samantha B issue is a different issue. As is the Kathy Griffin issue.
1: All right, let's talk about that for a moment. Recognizing first and foremost, we're talking about two different networks here to begin with. So to say that, ah, how come TBN didn't respond the way ABC did? Well, TBN's a different network. Now, for folks that don't know, and I can't quite frankly on a public radio station quote everything
2: no, you cannot. that
1: was said mm-hmm. by yeah. Samantha B. But, but suffice it to say, it was an extremely... Poor taste. It's the kind of language that if your son or daughter came home and used that word, they would be immediately escorted to the restroom and have a nice bar of lava soap put between their teeth for the next half hour. And so given the vileness of the language, and essentially it was criticism of Ivanka Trump for not – what should we say – utilizing more pressure of her position or influence on her father – to deal with what um, Samantha B. considered to be uh, inappropriate or uh, inhumane. Uh, inhumane treatment of um,
2: the, children the children of, 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 uh, of undocumented. Uh, the do-
1: undocumented kids. That's right. That's right. And so we we took a political issue and we immediately personalized it. And it's one thing to say, isn't it a shame that the first daughter doesn't do more to move her father in the right position, in my opinion, on these issues? That's all well and good. But to use the language that she used in referring to the first daughter in such a vile fashion was entirely out of line. Um, she backed down a bit. But interesting, the difference is that unlike Roseanne Barr, who immediately lost her job over it, the same treatment wasn't metered out to Samantha B. causing a lot of observers to wonder, hmm, is the difference here the fact that Roseanne Bard has traditionally sort of pushed more conservative viewpoints versus Samantha Bee, so the the liberal gets away with it but the conservative cannot?
2: Well, one, um, I'm not sure she's going to get away with it. Two, if you really want to know what was said, um, it it's readily available on Google. Um, and it was um, both it, – it was abhorrent – um one could say and 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 to be honest i would deal with all of these people in a similar manner um in fact Kathy griffin is try, is is making a she lost her cnn uh, new year's eve gig but she's making a comeback on the on the one woman show circuit uh despite her um visit from the secret service after her um Demonstration of a bloody Donald Trump head. Um, now, I would think that would ban her from polite society for a very long time, if not
1: permanently. If, if
2: not permanently, not just uh, because of um, not in the sense of this individual president, but in the sense of of advocacy of violence against an elected official in the United States. I, I think that's uh, right up there with um, with with. Sexual harassment, okay? You, you're endangering people's lives. Samantha B. used language that we can't repeat, um, didn't apologize, in my t- sense, effectively for it. I would agree. All right. Works for a relatively large network, okay? Couldn't get a spot on any of the um, big cable. Networks like CNN or MSNBC, etc. Uh, but um, she is even factually incorrect because this separation of uh, children and parents in this um, illegal immigration situation is something that is in the law. And that was conducted, all those pictures that you've seen of kids behind fences, et cetera, those are Obama-era photos. So Samantha B's language was inappropriate. Um, I think the separation of families is abhorrent. I'm a mom. I, I just cannot imagine ripping an 18-month-old baby away from its mother. I can't imagine what that does for border control agents. I understand um the John Kelly position that that we 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 have to find a way to stop this traffic. Um I'm not sure that's the way I would do it, but if I worked for Time Warner, I would have apologized to Ivanka Trump. In that apology I would have probably said, you know, you're a very uh media savvy woman. You need to talk to your dad about how this looks and how it's polarizing people further, and that's not good. And then I would have fired Samantha Bee.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not clear on your position on this. So <laughs> Now, let me let me ask you this, uh, Joyce, insofar as... The differing of the treatment of the two, it it still comes boiling out of the same cauldron of, uh, I think you used the phrase earlier, what would not have been tolerated in polite society. And maybe a bigger part of the problem here is that we don't have a society that is anywhere nearly as polite as it used to be. And what I'm curious is, it was a scant 20 years ago that we were railing against the politics of personal destruction. And we were so tired at the time of all of the focus seemingly and exclusively being on Behavior And again, this isn't to say we should look the other way, but suddenly the issues got lost because we got so wrapped up in the behavior of the candidate or the politician that the job that he or she was charged with doing kind of faded quickly into the background. And we saw that also translate into the way we were conducting the body politic insofar as elections and electioneering. So there was a season when we seemed to be sensitized to the fact that we were fed up with all of this. And now suddenly it seems as if we've not just returned to the, the vileness, the scraping the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, when it comes to our public discourse, but it, it, it in my recollection, has never been quite as vile as it is today. Why I, so?
2: I think you're right. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember Martin Luther King's speech um, at the Lincoln Memorial. I was just, a young, I was just young and impressionable. But I do remember how moving that speech was in terms of wanting to focus on the content of your character rather than the color of your skin. And I think in the following 25 or 30 years we made progress toward not looking at people as black Americans or white Americans or whatever. And that and that some of the economic, some of the cultural pressures of the last 20 years have created, and I, I've just read Ian Bremmer's book, We Versus They, uh, We Versus Us. And, and I think it's cultural. It's it's uh, People are, are a little scared. And I think there are forces um, that are unleashed. They were, maybe we, we were living in a more genteel era, as you said, we don't. We wanted to look at. Uh, at we wanted we wanted to see things be more civil, more polite uh, less corrupt um, but Donald Trump unleashed something that was there you know
1: well there 's no doubt that this has been something that has been boiling down below the surface, and that uh, the the recent uh, election cycle or two. Uh, has stoked the flames of all of that, yeah. uh, but you know, e- even to the point where, and we'll talk about this when we come back after the break. Even to the point where um, <laughs> the the Democrat, I'm sorry, the Republican Party here in California has been upset because up until early this morning, you could Google Republican Party here in California and find in the Google search results. The uh, definition of the ideology of the party that included conservatism, market liberalism, fiscal conservatism, green conservatism. Oh, but the number one ideology that they listed, Nazism. Wow.
2: Now, I don't know who listed that.
1: Clearly somebody in the inside was trying to do a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But,
2: but the it fact that, it,
1: that somebody felt that it was okay to do that. Well, let's, let's talk about that after the break. We'll take a brief time out, get you caught up real quick, like here on traffic, and then we'll come back to more of Joyce Courtney as Lifeline continues. Right now, though, we'll look at traffic. Michael Bennett's got the latest in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right, we're back to the conversation. It is. Thursday edition of Lifeline. Had to think about that for a second. (laughs) Joyce Cordy is with us today in studio, host of Reimagine America. Heard Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. More information, by the way, about her great work online at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. Joyce, before the break, I made reference to an apology now. Speaking of apologies being issued by corporations, this one coming from Google says, sorry that our search result listed Nazism as the ideology of the California Republican Party. Now, earlier today, Representative Kevin McCarthy pointed uh, out to Google the fact that when you did a listing or a search for the California RNC, uh, it listed Nazism as the ideology of the party. Um, Yeah, is that a mistake in the algorithm? Is that somebody doing a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, let's be funny about this? Uh, who's to say it's probably not a mistake? As you're shaking your head, saying, "No, these mistakes don't happen."
2: No, it's not a mistake. <laughs> There's a reason for it. it. It starts with. It starts with Donald Trump. After Charlottesville, when people were carrying torches and Nazi flags, and carrying uh, and 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 shouting blood and soil, the Jews will not prevail. Uh, some of us took that quite personally, actually. Um, lots of me and this my Republican he,
1: Jewish friends. This is when he made the remark that there were good people on both sides. That there were good sides. people
2: on both sides, yeah. and, and Roy Cohn's wife went, you know, and went ballistic, and I don't, you know, uh, the and Cohn had a letter of resignation written, and so did uh, Munchen. And, um, and so there is uh, that... There, there you planted a seed. Now, move forward to our crazy, to our primary system and where we need to fix the primary, not in the concept of top two finisher, but who we let run. Who we let, how we let people designate themselves because right here in the Bay Area, the night before last, the California Republican Party Board and the Republican Jewish Coalition uh, leader uh, Matt Brooks put out a joint statement declaring um, a, a candidate for the for Congress in um, Garibaldi Garamonde's district uh, to be persona non grata in the Republican Party because he is an avowed white supremacist and an avowed. Nazi.
1: This would be a problem. I know we, who you're talking about. We
2: also, now. we, you know, and and that was a joint statement. There was no such joint statement when uh, Peter Little um, went to the uh, Republican State Convention in San Diego uh, as a candidate to run against Diane Feinstein in the United for the United States Senate seat as an as a Republican and stood on top of an Israeli flag and uh, shouted some very unpleasant things and then went on to make some um, comments uh, that you again can find on Google, just Google, that (laughs) that said Jews should be forced out of California, forced out of the nation, and not allowed to return on penalty of death.
1: Now he did get kicked out of the they, convention. For they that, kicked. Didn't they,
2: they 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 escorted him out of the convention. But you did not see the kind of declarative statement that was made yesterday. Okay, in which they the party the state party made this little tiny bitty announcement instead of the kind of thing that Matt Brooks forced them into yesterday. And thank you, Kevin McCarthy, for your help in that in that particular issue. Um, and so Google gets some. Uh, leeway, but then Google takes it, you know, Google is the land of, of left-wing ideology. Google as a company is part of the left, left-wing ideology. So here is another person, whoever allowed that lie needs to be re-educated and part of that re-education should be termination. That's not acceptable.
1: Well, and, you know, this raises even the broader question here. And we've talked Google about this. Google has a public
2: responsibility. And they and whoever allowed that violated that public responsibility.
1: And, and uh, Joyce, we've talked about this in relationship as well to Facebook and the manipulation of the election, at least the attempting to do so by Russian operatives. Who is going to be the keeper of the gate Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, during uh, two painful days of testimony before Congress, essentially said, oh, we're hiring 10,000 people who are going to come and keep a close watch on all of this. And he just finished his testimony before the EU Parliament just a scant week ago, in which uh, he basically said the same thing, although I thought... That was not run very well. 75 minutes of nonstop questions, and then he got to pick and choose at the end the 15 easiest questions, most of which came down to, we really believe in freedom and speech. Uh, First Amendment rights are very important to us, and we want to make sure people don't say things that they shouldn't be saying. That said, I have to wonder, in all of these cases, whether we talk about the Google algorithm that returns Nazism as an ideology of the Republican Party in California or that which allowed Russian operatives to put ads on Facebook, any of it. As you talk about hiring people to now suddenly keep a closer watch on things, the big question in my mind is, okay, and what kind of ideology, what kind of guidelines, what yardstick will they be using? And if all of this is being operated out of California, doesn't it seem that there's still going to be a greater likelihood that the leanings will be farther left than they would center or Right.
2: Absolutely, and you—that algorithm is a program is a programmed algorithm. Those algorithms are the most powerful sources of information in the world. So Google and Facebook and Amazon know more about you and can predict your behavior better than you can, and that's very dangerous. That is the beginning of thought manipulation. So somebody had to program that into the algorithm. The word Nazi had to get programmed into the algorithm.
1: This is is not by accident. This is intentional. This is
2: intentional. And Google is now moved in terms of their human resource and and self-selection processes so far to the left that the United States government, our military – the people who allow us to come and, by by putting their lives on the line, come and have these conversations. Pentagon has asked Google, who knows more about this AI stuff than anybody, right, has asked them to work on a project to assist the United States Cyber Command. And Google is debating whether or not they want to take on this government business because it will so offend their developer community if they help the United States government to create cyber protections. I don't know what world I'm living in, but the last time I looked, national security was the responsibility of every citizen.
1: Well, this clearly comes from an age group that remembers nothing of the events of December of 1941, that's to be sure.
2: Excuse me, weren't some of them alive and on on um, September 11, they, they indeed and, and –
1: but uh, amazingly, the the selective memory that apparently they have. Then, and you know what becomes problematic about this, as much as we have, from the very get-go, hailed the the arrival of the internet as the information highway that would give. Free unfettered access to all that, you know, you could have the equivalent of multiple libraries at your fingertips and never leave the comfort of your uh, fuzzy bunny slippers, uh, you know, at home on your laptop to, to access all of that information. But as much as there's a free exchange of ideas, a lot of those ideas come with big question marks attached to them. And where years ago you might have to go to the seedy end of town to go hear some nutcase, get up on a soapbox and uh, expound <coughs> upon his extremist views. Today it's easy and out there for everybody to see. And then the question becomes, okay, who ultimately gets to be the police officer here to say who gets to go, who gets to stay, what's acceptable, what isn't acceptable. And what I'm suggesting here is we're seeing the extremes. We're seeing the ability of um – Google to align the Republican Party with Nazism. We can see a guy like David Irving promoting ideas of uh, the Holocaust never existed and things of this sort, all freely on the Internet, and we would look at that and say, okay, that kind of falsity, false news, false information, yellow yellow, yellow journalism. Fake fake news. Yeah, fake news. All of that needs to be suppressed. But then the question I beg is, okay, then At the end of the day, what if those that are in charge of doing the suppressing change and suddenly now my ideas as a conservative or Republican or a person of faith are now considered to be the ones that are offensive? And now do they turn the tables and start suppressing what I'd like to say?
2: They already do think that you're—
1: A nut um, case, go ahead and say it. No,
2: no, that your conservative philosophy and your being a person of faith is at least suspect. It's a scary world we're living in. This is a world where they teach kids in Saratoga to give them a social studies class in income inequality. They teach them how undeserving they are, how, you know, I mean, we're talking, this is the making of a socialist society. And at its center... Are these – I mean they're, you, they're, there is any number. There's a tremendous amount of, of thought going around among early VCs about, oh, shoot, what did we create, mm-hmm. okay? Roger Mac, uh, McNamee is not the only one. Um, so there are a couple of books that you might want your, to suggest to your readers. One of them is A World Without a Mind, The Existential Threat of Big Tech. And your comment about this algorithm that points out Nazis, you know, one of the creeds of the Republican Party is Nazism. One, we don't know how many people have seen it. We don't know how many times it has been forwarded or be a part of some other uh, discussion. Um, We don't know how many people saw it and believe it. Okay, So they can take it out. You know Kevin did what Kevin needed to do but the fact of the matter is that the damage is done well and, and it was done by Google with malice of forethought and so if you want to think that that Google is a benign and and trust me I use Google 45 times a day I mean it's a great source of information okay but it is not a purveyor of of truth. It is a purveyor of data and what's wrong in this society. What what makes your question so relevant is actually something I was engaged on twenty years ago when I worked with Martha Cantor, the former chancellor of, of Foothill College and the president of, of the College Promise. Um, we worked on the technology two plan for the California community colleges and the faculty not right wingers the faculty their biggest concern about creating access to the internet even before google on campus was the necessity to first treat, teach children how to think critically and we're not doing that and to the extent we are not doing that we are going to be the slaves of well, these big of these big tech uh, CEOs,
1: And even as we tout the wonders of AI, although there are some like Elon Musk that have warned us against it, um, you think about that and say, all right, so we can teach a box how to think, but can we teach a box how to have a moral compass? No. I mean, I realize that there are some aspects of right and wrong. Uh, you get taught by your parents, and that's handed down, but... Uh, those that believe in a creator would also suggest that that there is something that is inherent to us at birth that gives us a sense of guidance that for most people while yes we can quote chapter and verse from Torah, the Old Testament thou shalt not kill for most people there's also in an innate sense that natural law, that moral compass that says Something tells me that killing is not right. So if you can teach technology to think, that's one thing. But can you teach it to be moral? And my fear is the answer is no, you can't. And therein lies the second layer because if if you take out of the equation – Teaching children how to think critically and instead, let's just cut to the chase. We won't teach them how to think because then we have to give them all the information about what to think about. And my heavens, what if they come to the wrong conclusions? So let's just cut to the chase. We'll teach them not what to think, but I mean how to think, but rather what to think. So now that they walk out of school with a diploma and a head full of preconceived notions and ideas, uh, then the next step into – the Internet in the world of technology is an easy one um, because you've already removed the critical thinking layer. So now suddenly they become vulnerable to just about anything you said in front of them.
2: Yeah. And and as to, oh, we've hired all these people who are going to police what's you know what's being said, BS. Total BS. Well, and my like question I is I said, who, uh, who's
1: going to do that and what do they look like?
2: I went to look at what was on Twitter because I'm, sometimes I'm, I'm – um, Self-destructive. Um, I went to look at Twitter out in the hours following the Roseanne Barr, and I found on Twitter this incredible story about Valerie Jarrett being a Muslim extremist and you know wanting to make uh, Islam the language of the, uh, the the religion of the United States, et cetera. And it was just really poorly done. I mean, it was it was just such an amateurish presentation that. Um, because she was born in Iran, that's true. Of of American uh, medical person parents, okay. Her dad was a doctor working in a hospital in under when the Shah was there. Okay, so let's just get that one straight. Um, and and it was so poorly done that one would think if there were really people looking for fake news, that would be like ah, glaring headlights. But it was right there on Twitter. It had bunches of likes. It was like. You know, uh, don't don't for one moment, uh, as a citizen, think that you can trust these robber barons, and that's what they are, and that's what their own call them. There, there is another book you ought to read called uh, "The The Computer Is Not the Answer" about how they are building a feudal society, and by the way, you are not going to be the knights and the and the courtiers, you're going to be the peasants.
1: Yeah, we're, we're at the bottom end of that food chain, I'm afraid, at the end of the day. And, and and does that put us then, as we kind of wrap up our conversation this afternoon, Joyce, does that put us at a very critical crossroads? I mean, together you and I have talked a lot about politics, directions of the Republican Party, where the Democrats are headed, the body politic, both at the national, state, and local level. But there seems to be this boiling cauldron down below of other things that are driving this, to suggest then that what is emerging in the nastiness of our discourse and and how rude we are and exchanges of ideas and so forth, um, clearly there's something that's behind all of that. Is the bigger fear not just who's going to be elected and what the next two or four years are going to look like, but but ultimately what's leading to all of this? Yes,
2: yes, I, I'm I'm very worried about how you can, um, you know, how do we keep this idea that all men are created equal. The only country ever formed on the basis that all men are created equal with a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is put at risk by uh, a society that is, one, casting off too much of its middle class. And secondly, that is too dependent on these anonymous technology tools. And because you can go to your Echo and say, turn on KFAX, and it does it, you think this tool is benign. These tools are not benign. And it's up to people like you and I. We need to have this conversation because they aren't going to hear it the first time.
1: And I think the awareness season as we, <laughs> pardon me, started our dialogue this evening on the topic of the elections that to concentrate on what we have to uh, possibly risk or what we have to lose in the June primary or in the uh, the uh, November general really isn't the topic. That's part of the topic. That's the that's the uh, the postscript or the footnote. The bigger issue is not being worried about whether or not we lose the election, but ultimately, then from what you're suggesting, is being concerned of whether or not we lose the nation. Yes. What was the line? Is Franklin? Uh, I'm sorry. As, uh, Benjamin Franklin came out of um, Independence Hall after they had uh, signed the uh, Declaration, Declaration, Declaration of Independence, of Independence mm-hmm. and he was asked by a passerby, "What kind of government has you wrought?" And Benjamin Franklin said, a constitutional republic if you can keep it.
2: And he was right, and we've kept it for 225 years. And what what the Founding Fathers put together, let us not let Google put us under.
1: Some good insights from Joyce Cordy. Her program, Reimagine America, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on our sister station. a.m., The Answer. We invite you to tune in. Find out more about Joyce and her good work. Her musings online as well at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. It's 6 o'clock. Let's get a look at some traffic here for you. Head of some headline news. But first, Michael Bennett's got the latest for you on the Thursday ride home. Michael, what's up?